Welcome to Empire Building, the podcast where we talk about building big businesses and even bigger lives. I'm your co-host, Seychelle Van Poole. And I'm Via Williams. Today, we are really excited and blessed to have Corinne Nguyen with us. Corinne is one of our really good friends. We're in business with her in our Five Dolls Network. And she has an incredible story that I'm excited to share with you guys. Seychelle, I think what's cool about Corinne is that she's she's built this massive business, but she's also yes. built this this huge life. And to me, what's cool about it is she's managed to kind of say, hey, I'm going to devote a ton of my time and energy into personal growth and development. And she, in her own words, wants to talk about like what the ROI is on that. You know, what is the return on investment of all of that time spent on herself? And and I think that that is perfect. I think that I've never heard anyone describe it that way before. I'm I'm super excited about that because I think of any one of the 11 of us, Corinne has really dedicated the most amount of energy and like revenue into it and time. And so I'm really excited that that's something we're going to get to dive into today. So Corinne, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Thank you, guys. I'm super excited to be here. Love the podcast. Well, yeah. You, I, I have been excited about this for a long time, Corinne. And you know, I, I think that you're going to bless our audience with your story. And, and it's interesting because speaking of story, you know, we don't always do this, but I think for you, let's start at the very beginning, like the very beginning, like birth for yes. you. Yeah. So um, I did find out a couple of years ago that I was actually born addicted to heroin and you know, there's a couple of different things, you know, when you when you find that out, I think initially, you know, one day, just like a, a quick story, I was watching some type of something on television and it was about babies addicted to methadone. And I just started crying. Like I had this visceral reaction. I was like, how strange that I would have like such a reaction to this. And my dad walked in the door to my house, you know, I think like moments later. And I just told him because he was like catching the reaction. And he's like, oh yeah, your mom was on methadone, which is a drug that you use, it's an opiate to um, wean from heroin. And I found out later, it wasn't actually that, it was heroin. And I went through the withdrawals and the whole bit. And, you know, that's one of the things that we're going to get into today is that I do look at some of these things. I guess the gift I have in my life is looking at these circumstances and finding the gift or the blessing. And sometimes you just got to try to get the lesson because it's so dark. It's hard to find the gift or the lesson. But I look at that and I go, what a gift, because I've never touched any drugs, and you see people that have um, parents that have a background in drugs and they go down a dark path, right? Or they go the opposite way. And so for me, I think my subconscious understands and remembers having those pains of the withdrawal. And I think, gosh, that'd be a gift. Could we give that to everybody? Because then nobody would do those types of drugs if you knew it was on the other side of it. Yeah, but you know, what's amazing to me about it, Corinne, is like you didn't find out till later in life. And, you know, it is kind of amazing that you didn't touch anything because obviously your physiology would have had a proclivity for addiction, I would think anyway. I mean, I'm not a yeah. doctor. And I think as I experienced, you know, some of the things, I mean, my parents were 40-year heroin users. They met in a drug rehab center. I would find out later in life also. And and so I think I looked at that and said, yeah, these are, let's, there's things to model and there's things not to model, right? And and people, I think, get surprised too when I say I, they did the best with what they had. And my mom was actually, in many ways, a really great mother, right? She was kind of in that hippie phase. And I didn't have any sugar until I was two years old. And she grew her own garden. And there are some, a lot of positives that I take away too from my childhood and how they parented me. So did she, did she go off of heroin then? Did she continue to use? Did you find out kind of through your childhood or was she? Was oh she yeah. Kind of- no, they, I, they used pretty much my entire life. My, I believe my mom used all the way until she passed away. And my dad okay. uh, stopped, I think, you know, a little before that. Well, let, let's talk about, you know, kind of how you grew up and, and, you know, walk us through your senior year in high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I grew up, you know, super poor. You know, I make a joke. I thought that's how we paid the bill was that they would deliver like a bright orange notice and put it on your doorknob. And that's how you paid things, right? <laughs> and so, um, you know, there'd be times that we wouldn't have heat. And I remember, you know, meeting, heating my socks up on the stove and, you know, super meager um, upbringing. But again, then I also think back of how did this actually happen? Because like one year for Christmas, my parents got me a pony. And so like amongst that poverty... Mm. 
you know, I get a pony. So that's, that's to try to help people understand, you know, they did really try to give me a great childhood and try to provide. Um, I think they just had their vices, right. And their, their choices that they were struggling Mm -hmm. with that entire time. And I think if I could just like super briefly to help people understand too, because it's part of the drive I have, I believe as well. And, and my chip at times or is, uh, when I was eight years old, I was getting ready to go to the third grade. My dad decided heroin wasn't enough and he actually tried cocaine. And so he came home one night and um, I woke up to him um, on top of my mom, like physical, uh, like holding her down. I don't know that he was sitting or I didn't see that, but I could hear her, you know, trying to hold back crying or yelling or what have you. And he's six foot five. My mom's five foot tall. And he leaves like the police helicopter comes for him. All of that piece is unimportant. The part that's more poignant is what happened after that is that we basically move from place to place friend's house to friend's house. I remember staying in a Motel 6. And so I'd call that period of a year really that we were homeless, right? Like we were migrants. We were never out on the street per se, um, but it was like severe instability. And that would go on for a couple of years until my mom, you know, was able to provide on her own and get us an apartment and those type of things. But that would lead into, all right, finally, I get to, I went to 13 different schools between kindergarten and eighth grade. And, um, and I bounced back and forth too, from suburbia to, um, I'd be Mm -hmm. the only white kid in the class. Right. And so I'd get ridiculed. I'd hide in the bathroom. I'd get beat up. I'd made fun of all of those things. And so when I got to high school, I have a best friend I've known since two years old. I got to be in high school with her, um, and stay there all four years, met a high school sweetheart, had a great relationship with him until I didn't um, <laughs> make up, break up, mm-hmm. end up getting pregnant my senior year, which I think is what Libby is asking about senior year. So I get pregnant. My aunt and um, my mom are encouraging me to you know, either abort the baby or give it up for adoption. And I'm like, I would mm-hmm. never give my baby away. Like I've always, I was like, babying chickens in my room at five years old. Like I've been dying to be a mother. Like, absolutely not. This is my, I can't be more excited. I was never afraid. I never had any concern. I was like, okay, yes, I'm going to be a mom. And so I was a mom. I I clicked over to the age of 18 and I became a mom. And so um, I think I quickly realized too, two chiefs and one Indian, you know, my mom and I both have very strong personalities. Like, I got to get out of here. You know, thank you for providing a place for us and the stability. And I need to have our own place so that I can, you know, be able to make the decisions and be in control. So that was the first, first big blessing. And um, I bought my first house at 19. I bought it at 18, closed on it when I was 19. I mean, it's amazing. How did you do that? Because I imagine our listeners are hearing this right now going, you know, it's, from from me listening to your story, what I hear is your parents provided you with the best of what they knew how to give you and and the best of their capabilities. And now you are a single mom with a baby at 18, learning how to provide for yourself. You're still a kid in your own right, right? Like learning how to provide. And yet I'm sure with parents and your scenario and knowing you as I do, you know, you you are mature and wise beyond your years. And so maybe at 18, you had lived 30 years already and, and you know, and Corinne years compared to human years. And so how do, how do you go from graduating high school, giving birth to this beautiful girl, and then now all of a sudden buying your first house? How did you do that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I had... That's why I brought brought up the um, homeless period, right? Or the instability. Yeah. Because as soon as yeah. I can get a job, I think it was like 15 and 10 months or whatever the date is, right? I don't even think I have to technically <laughs> and like I was out, I got hired and then I started the day I could start. And I did really well. I started in portrait sales as a brand new company, small business. I started dialing out of the phone book. That's probably relative to what we, you know, what I got yeah. some success in real estate, you know, with that too. But, and so I just worked. And then when that closed down, that, that business closed down, um, they think it's easier, you know, to have a small business. Mm-hmm. They basically took somebody else's model and said, I'm going to go do it myself. And um, the photographer we had at that place went back to where they had all come from. And he's like, you got to call this gal. Mm. She's, she's sharp um, and she can sell. And so they recruited me and I went to work for them and I got an elevated position and an elevated pay. And so by 18, I was making, you know, like $24,000 a year, which was pretty decent money. For, Back yeah, then. It was yeah, decent was, money at the yeah. time. And 
I had gotten a credit card because I needed to buy a crib at JCPenney. So I was like, all right, I got to get a credit card. And they give anybody a, you know, a credit card from the department yeah. store. And so <laughs> that helped me establish credit. And I'd bought like, I had gotten a secured credit card. So I had enough. I had those two lines of credit. And then, you know, they use non-traditional, right? So other bills that you're paying, which I had because I was a mom. So they use some like a cell phone bill and that and they use that and I was able to get qualified. And the house, actually, I initially was going to buy a manufactured home and put it on my parents' lot. at an acre of land um, that my, it was actually my grandmother's, but that's where they had lived. That was our place of stability when we weren't moving around. And I was going to put that there. And then I saw an ad and it said, you know, sweat equity, you can paint that inside of the house for your down payment. And I was like, okay, well, let me go check this out. And so that's what it ended up doing. It ended up all working out. And I think it's incredible. I think all of it is because, because Corinne, I think that there's two things that, that are already uh, different. Number one, most kids who would get their first job would go work at say fast food or something. And you went straight to cold call outbound sales. Number two, most kids would go rent an apartment and you went almost, not quite, but almost straight to purchasing a home. And I'm wondering, I understand what triggers the drive because, you know, because of your story. I'm wondering how you got the knowledge to do both of those. Did you, did you purposely go into outbound cold calling sales thinking I'm going to make more money or this is a good skill set? Or was it just what, what drove that decision and what drove that to actually purchase a yeah. home? No, I mean, the outbound sales, I, I, I'm just, my parents were both entrepreneurs. My mom was a, a seamstress by trade. She taught herself to um, how to sew from reading books. There's no videos back then. She would become so um, talented that she would actually sew for Miss Universe. Like she was designing and sewing for Miss Universe by the end of her career. Um, my dad was in construction. He had a firewood business. So I was, I've always been a little sales gal, little entrepreneur uh, in this firewood business. I would sell wood chips. I was like, I'm going to collect all these wood chips. People need fire starter at like five years old. <laughs> I'm pitching the bag. So I've always had that ability. And so in talking to people and what the role was, I was like, oh, that's not easy. I'm not afraid to call out of the phone book. I don't know these people anyway. I just call, you know, hey, this is Corinne. I'm calling because your friend Joe was in. I just make up a name. Because I'm cold calling out of the phone book. They're like, I don't know, Joe. It doesn't matter. He knows you. What a gift. He's giving you a free eight by 10. When can you and your family come in? Right. And nobody told me to do that. I was just like, God, I that's love what you, you so have much. to do. I just love that. That instinct it's just so makes sense. And that was a little yeah. bit instinctive on that. Um, on the home one, I looked at apartments, right? Like that wasn't a, I just needed to be out. So that wasn't out of realm of possibility to look at that. I, I, I'm not going to give myself the credit that I was smart enough to say, I want to be a homeowner. Neither of my parents were homeowners and they never in their lifetime would have been, have been a homeowner. But I think it just happened, right? I was looking in that book and I saw that opportunity. I kept looking. I think it was more the determination and that I'm going to do whatever it mm -hmm. takes to give this girl a different life, meaning my daughter, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then that part just worked out. I wish I could give you a, a different like magic, something that somebody could grab onto, but it was just a decision, right? That I needed to have the best opportunity for her. I think that's such a great lesson because I think so many times in life that, you know, we make these decisions and they, they're not always thought through. Sometimes they're, they organically happen and, and they're kind of on accident and they ended up, they, like that ended up, I think, you know, purchasing a house that young. I would argue that the cold calling um, first job, and then this was one of the first dominoes. And it's a good example of how just getting into action, you can, you can stumble across a really good decision sometimes when you're so determined and you have a mindset to just get into action. You probably made seven other decisions we're not talking about because they weren't important. Like, I don't know if you went and bought that stupid new car like a lot of us did too young and got into debt or whatever, but, but you've made the one good decision, right? Yeah. And I just think it's a good life lesson. You know, get into action and be mm -hmm. determined and laser focused on it. And it was hard. You know, we talk about it, but it was hard. Yeah. You know, it was hard. I remember thinking oh, like, yeah. I'm a single mom. Am I going to pay for this security alarm? Because it's not the best of area, right? right? That I could afford to buy this house in. Right. And I'm right. like, yeah, we probably can't have the alarm. All right, cut the alarm because we got to eat, you know, but we always yeah. pay the bills. Yeah. Sorry, Seisha, I didn't mean to cut you off there, babe. No, you're good. I mean, the other thing I was just going to observe too, Bia makes some really good points with these is, you know, you used your... Um, background to your advantage in the sales capacity and in your street smarts. And so it was like, you know, I'm hearing you move to 13 different schools in a matter of nine years. 
And having to reinvent relationships and build rapport quickly and make new friendships, I imagine was a lot of your school experience. And so using that and putting that to work in a sales environment and then looking for stability in your housing probably played a lot into those first couple of dominoes for you. And it it wasn't formal training. It just, it was a byproduct of using your experience and your knowledge that you had acquired from the circumstances that you had been in to your, to your advantage and making the most of them. And I, I applaud you for that. That's really cool. Thank you. At times it's just survival, right? You're like, okay, these are survival yeah. skills and we're going to apply yeah. them you going don't, You don't think about it. It's cool at the time. Yeah, yeah. It's just a one step, one step, one step, one step. Yeah. <laughs> and that's and that's what I think we pull out of this, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's easy to look back and go, I'm not Corinne. My, my first job wasn't fast food and, and I didn't buy my first house at 19. But the lesson is, is that when you're just laser focused on a goal and you get into action, you will make, you know, some bad decisions, by the way, folks, but you'll make a lot of good decisions. And, you know, the, the one or two good decisions can can set a trajectory for your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you got into yeah. action. You got into yeah. action. And I, I would That's be remiss if I didn't mention too, you know, those impressionable years when you're so young, probably like from one to five, one to seven. And so... Even though I didn't really understand what was going on around me at the time, I remember seeing like balloons in the toilet and going, You guys are having parties without me. What's going on? You know, of course, my grandmother knew what was going on. My dad's mom, um, Arizona Sunshine, actually was her name, Grandma Sunny. And um, she knew what was going on. That was her, her name, was name, Arizona, Arizona Sunshine. Sunshine? Yeah. So I loved her dearly and oh she's so gosh. sweet. And I'm like, Thank God you guys did not name me after her because that's not the most beautiful name. But they called her Sunny, which was more appropriate. Um, and I called her Gammy. And she was a teacher. She was a school teacher. And so she would constantly take me like for ice cream or take me just wherever, right? And under her wing. Mm-hmm. And I remember her giving me the books, um, I, the little engine that could. And so I think about that and I'm like, you know, that book for anyone that's read it, it's like, I think I can, I think I can. And then it's like, I know I can, I know I can. And I'm like, yeah, that was ingrained at a really early age so that when something like that, you know, we're talking about buying a house or I'm going to have a baby, some people may have a different perspective, but I think that was ingrained at a super early age for me too, by her impressions and her influence on my life that, Mm. that really meant something, right? Like, I think that's a big piece too. And that's why we all owe it to ourselves to be on a personal growth journey, yes. isn't it? Especially, you know, if we choose to, if not even have our own kids, you know, have other kids or other people we want to impact. It is such a big effect on on everybody around us, right? So so kind of moving on, Corinne, it, it, you know, here you, you bought your first house, you're a single mom. Kind of walk us through your 20s, you know? And, and I think it's important to kind of walk through that, you know, business biography, how you met Son. Mm-hmm. And I, what I want to end it with is, is you have a massive, massive business. You have one of the top real estate businesses in the nation. And I just kind of want you to walk us through, you know, what that looked like, because I think everyone has to understand, they had to understand the mm-hmm. beginning. And the end is, is incredible, incredible success. What happened in yeah. the middle? So um, I left the portrait studio. There's some ownership changes that happened in the portrait studio. And I left there and I went to a group interview for a bank. And um, I got hired on at one of the big banks. And I didn't understand until I was doing those interviews that banking is actually sales. People think like, oh, you're good at math and you're good at numbers. Like, no, you're selling products. You're selling checking, savings, credit cards, loans, a whole bit. And so um, when I went there, um, I started off as a banker. I got promoted to an assistant manager. I think it was assistant manager for like three months. Then I got promoted to a manager and I did well. And that's where I met my husband today, Son. And um, at a point, we would actually be working out of the same location, right? And we were the one and two bankers in the state of Arizona, right? So we would like (laughs) trade off being one and two. And uh, we had a lot of fun. And our branch was number one. And I think we had like the one, two, and three bankers, right? In the state. And so we had a lot of fun doing that. And what happened while I was in banking is I actually ended up doing really well in home equity sales. Uh, you know, that's mm. before the bust, right? And that was a people started right. taking out loans, right? To live the life, right? Go on these vacations and buy the boats and buy the cars. Well, I ended up being number one at Wells Fargo for um, mm. home equity lines and loans. And so much so they sent me on a cruise and I just did really well. I got a lot of notoriety and um, attention. Mm-hmm. And so I'd have loan officers that would come in and say, look at my check. Like you're making the bank a lot of money. You could be in business for yourself. And I thought, 
oh my gosh, that's straight commission. I'm a single mom. There's no way, you know, yeah, no, I don't think I can do it. And over time, right, there's some things that were happening at the bank. And I basically decided to make the jump. Probably not the best. So basically you were in a salary salary position. position. What you're saying is the salespeople were showing you their checks saying, come over to the commission commission side. side. And I was like, absolutely not. Um, I have to provide health insurance, you know, all of these things. It's irresponsible. And then frankly, you know, there's some things that happen at the bank. I was super competitive. I mean, super competitive. And it's competitive, competitive, right? Like, what? Talk about doing whatever it takes. And I think my lesson that I had at the bank in doing whatever it takes is that I actually lost my job in banking because I did whatever it took. And I crossed the line on some things and Mm. I actually lost my job. And that was a really great lesson. This is actually the first time I'm sharing this publicly. It it was a really great lesson. And I I can share it now because I go, you were different back then. You don't do that anymore. You've Mm -hmm. learned. Mm -hmm. It's not about doing whatever it takes. Like your need to compete was probably you're looking for love and some other things, right? Based on some things in my background. And today I don't need to do it at that level. I'm still competitive, but it doesn't need to be like at all costs, right? And so end up leaving there, losing my job, which was awful and also a blessing because then I was like, okay, well, I'm going into lending. And so I went into the lending side. I worked for, um, on the brokerage, loan brokerage. And, um, you know, I, I like to share this story because people, I am determined and I have a good work ethic. But when I first got started, it reminds me a lot of people in real estate. I just didn't go into the office. I cashed out my 401k. So I had a little bit of padding there. And I think after a few weeks, the broker was like, hey, Corinne, where are you? Like, when are you coming in the office? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm out here networking. He's like, okay, well, that's great. I need you to be here tomorrow at 9 a.m. And I was so embarrassed. And thank God he did that because I got my butt in gear and in line to go, okay, yeah, I do need to start showing up to the office. And so... So were you working at all or you're just kind of... No, I was messing around. around. I was messing around. I was like, all right, I don't have a job. Like, I don't have to report it, right? (laughs) I'm an independent contractor. I'm my own boss. I'm my own boss, right? And at this point... We've mm -hmm. never seen that before. And that's why I bring it up, right? Because I know there's a lot of real estate agents listening. Um, And I was only 22, I think at the time, 21 or 22. So, you know, that was my... I never partied. Like, that was my... I played around for a little bit until I got bapped and said, get your butt in the office. Okay, great. Well, you deserve Uh, it. I'm glad you had that moment. I mean, you got to cut loose too. Yeah. 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 I'm sort of glad yeah. you had that. So um, <laughs> I'm kind of glad you got fired. Got fired. There you go. I know, I know. Me too. I am too. Okay. So you, after you're done partying, after Party Central's over, um, then you, you know, report to work the next day. And then what did that look yeah, like? Yeah. So I did very well while I was there. Um, during that time too, I would end up marrying Son. So we got married while I was there. And we're very happy. About I'm very that. happy about yeah, that. He's yeah. He's amazing. He's a diamond. And um, we have similar, not the um, drug part of it, but like growing up with very meager upbringing and then wanting to have a lot more in life, right? Like, so this determination, you know, you're going to work hard and and be self-made. And so like beautiful relationship right from the start. And like immediately we have a baby. And so we're taking the baby. Oh, and then I pull Son in. Like he stays in banking and I go, you need to come do this with me, right? Um, And so we have the baby, our son, Blake, and he's there in the office uh, with us until we <laughs> until he can't anymore because you know when they're baby they just sleep anyway and um, I decided to get my real estate license and so I was like you know what I can actually do both I can do the loan side because at that time and this is where I have an appreciation for lenders that you know as a lender I did not love working real, with real estate agents I was like can I just do refinances because these real estate agents they're paying <laughs> my booty they're like calling me all the time yeah. like I got this my loans closed <laughs> right but yeah, they're asking like, what's going to happen? And they're afraid all the time. It's not going to close. And so um, I was like, I'm going to do both sides. And then I don't have to communicate, you know, that back and forth. It'd be a great experience for the the buyer because they'll just have a one-stop shop. And so I went and got my license and Son actually went back to banking. He's like, this is your gig. I don't want to do loans. And he's mm-hmm. a great leader. He's a leader of people. And so he went back to a different bank and he built his career there. And I did loans and real estate for a little bit. And as I started that too, I looked at um, a tax preparation company, it was H&R Block. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do tax prep because it's going to help me build a database. 
I'm going to be sitting in front of people and I'm going to be able to see that they either need to refinance Hmm. and I will offer them that on the loan side, or they don't have the tax deduction of a home. So I'll sell them a home. And so I served like one tax season there and built a good database and then made that full transition into real estate, really with a newborn and a six-year-old. Oh, she would have just turned seven. Okay, were you playing chess or checkers? Be, I know. Be honest. Were you? Yeah. Were you like three or five steps ahead, or looking? Were you just kind of blowing and going and making some good decisions, right? Because that is really you smart. know. Naturally, I, I'm very bigger picture, so I'm always thinking about like what's the easiest way that I can get this outcome. Not, and meaning like maybe easy is not the right like, word. It's probably more efficient. <laughs> efficient is different mm-hmm. than easy because mm-hmm. I know things are going to be yeah. you know uphill. Anything worth having is uphill. So it's uphill. And that was a lot of work to have a newborn and, you know, basically Mm -hmm. having those three jobs. Um, But I had the flexibility to do it. And most importantly, I had the support of Son to help me to say, yep, I support you. Go do this. So you were playing checkers. You were thinking a couple steps ahead. I was thinking a few steps. I mean, chess. Yeah, Yeah, playing chess. I was like, we knew what you meant. I said it wrong. We knew, we knew. All right. Okay, so you you go do that. Keep keep going because it's yep. this is where your rise. Yeah. So um, then out. we you know started to have the changes as after you know nine eleven happens. Um, Son and I end mm-hmm. up buying another house, and we rent out my first house. And I just had to make a decision. You know what? Now I'm not serving. Got to be a point after a few years. I'm actually not serving the client super well because now there's a lot of guidelines that are changing on the loan side, and I have to either decide am I going to keep up with all of these changes. Uh, or am I going to pick a side? And by that point, I had fallen in love with real estate. I did go to school. Jasmine was two weeks old when I had her and I started, uh, you know, two-year college associate's degree I got in college. Love that. And um, I I took real estate classes then. And I just decided, um, I passed half the test. I didn't pass the other half. And I had one of my old Mm -hmm. mentors, because I was working at that photography studio, tell me, this is really hard. It's a lot harder than you're going to think. And you're a single mom. And she kind of talked me out of it at the time. And that's fine because I was meant to go on the journey to meet Son and, and continue to do the things I, I was going to do. But now is the time. So yes, let me go full commitment into real estate. And so I made that transition uh, into real estate. And, you know, there's some rough patches as you get started. You know, it wasn't always, even though I was great at sales, we would buy another home. So now our second home together, my third home, we rented out. We sold the first one, which I regret today. But we kept the next one, rented that out. We still have that one today. Mm-hmm. And when I was in the first couple of years of real estate, I just did okay. I'm not one of those people that go like, yep, I sold 100 homes in my first year. Like, that's not what it looked like. You know what? I'm the same way, Corinne. Mm-hmm. I wasn't rookie of the year either. I was not rookie of the year. And frankly, I think because I'd had so much success in sales in general my whole life, my ego is a little bit uh, inflated, right? Like, oh, you know, I got this. Yeah. And I started pulling money off of our equity line of credit. And then I started pulling too much money, right? Meaning pulling us to pay our bills. You know, we had to pull money to pay, like robbing Peter to pay Paul a bit there. And um, I remember going to like an action workshop. It was a Mike Ferry action workshop. And, you know, you're going to use these scripts. And I remember looking at these scripts like many times before and I go, who would say this stuff? Like, I'm not going to say this. What, are, what is this? And I went to that action workshop and they talked about signing up for coaching and, you know, if you sign up, there's a legal binding contract. So if you got to check with someone else, check with them. And I signed up, right? $1,000 a month. I'm like, I don't even think that we have this money. I mean, no, we don't. Not I think I know. We don't have this money, but... <laughs> oh my gosh. I totally this. did this with Mike Ferry. It was probably the same. It, pro- it probably was. I didn't know that. <laughs> it probably was. It was like literally in like, two, yeah, like 2003 or something. Yeah, it would have been pretty close. It would have been 2000. I got in in 2003 into the business. So it was probably the next year. It was like 2004. Isn't so we were funny? there at the same time. Yeah. And so I signed up. Um, I, they paired me with a great coach, a mo- another mom. And she was helping me, you know, learning the balance of all of these things. And long story short, I started using scripts. I was like, okay, I'm, you know what? If anything, mm-hmm. I'm going to use this and I'm going to kind of show like it doesn't work. But it, I wasn't out to disprove it. Like I'm still going <laughs> to use it. I'm going to use the yeah. right tonality, but I'm going to show that like fine. And of course it worked, right? So <laughs> yeah. I go, okay. That's and then a, I start. That's a lucky coincidence. That, yeah, because yeah, sure. with that determination, like of course I was still trying to make it work because I needed it to work. And I made it work. And so I started building, you know, more clientele, really getting more referrals off that book of business that I had built. And it wasn't that I wasn't making okay money. I was probably selling, you know, 20 
plus homes a year. It's just, I think too, that because Son and I came from the backgrounds we had, we started getting over leveraged. So just so that everyone's listening, it wasn't that I was like selling one or two homes. I was selling homes. We just took on too much debt because now, yes, now we are buying super nice cars, super nice houses. And so I was selling, you know, probably 25 houses a year. And <laughs> I, we were just over leveraged. And so that was, that was a challenge. I've been there. That was him. a challenge. Yeah. And then we'd have another baby and then REO hit, right? Like then the market falls out. Now we hit 2007, market falls out and it's like, okay, what am I going to do? All right. Tell everybody what REO is because we have a lot of non-real yes. estate. Yes. Yeah. So REO is real estate owned. Those are the foreclosures. When you lose your house, it goes back to the bank and then the bank needs to liquidate the homes. They need to get them sold. And uh, as we went underwater, I actually got contacted by an asset manager. That's a person that works for on the behalf of the bank and is the one that's in charge of disposing of these assets, these, these properties. And they asked me to do a valuation, BPO, broker price opinion, on a home. And I'm like, oh, I've heard about this. They're going to try to get me to do this for free and not pay me. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm willing to do anything a few times, right? Like I'll invest in a few of these. And I did that. And he's like, okay, send me a listing agreement. And I'm like, what? Okay. And so it was a small <laughs> bank out of Florida and they didn't have a, you know, a giant department because they're small. And so they didn't have their giant agreements. So I actually ended up working with that bank. I helped build their you know, forms and processes and addendums. And and then I was like, this is actually great. Like I'm getting a 3% commission. I'm doing BPOs. And as fast as I can complete these valuations on the homes, I'm getting new properties. This is outstanding. And I had already hired an assistant, um, which is uh, letting me time out there because that's also a, a pretty important piece in my journey is that instead of coming downstairs every morning in my pajamas, when I hired an assistant, it doubled for me. It was two things. And the two critical things were I had to get dressed when I came downstairs. I have a great work ethic. After that incident with the lending, I had a great work ethic after I got that one bath. <laughs> um, and so yeah. I always worked. I was always working a lot of hours, but I was dressed. And the difference was when I would set an appointment, it would be like, can you go, can you meet right now? Not, oh, well, let's meet mm-hmm. tomorrow. Or, you know, I'm putting it off because I'm not dressed and ready. And so that's that huge. changed my business. Yeah. So for anyone that's working from home and you're like, well, I don't need to get dressed. That's a big difference. Yes. Okay. I That's just, big. I have to stop here because I, this is like a via DHB, deeply held belief. I train on this. I talk to people like this. I say it all the time. The sooner, like like the the shorter the delta between setting an appointment and attending the appointment, the higher the chance and the probability that you're going to convert Absolutely. it. The ideal being you set the appointment and you go straight to the appointment, like on the most extreme, right? I can't stress enough how what you said is really, I think, the secret of sales. Yes. Being laser focused, however you're going to get an appointment, you know, from a bank, from whoever, being ready mentally and physically to go to that appointment and trying to close on that appointment right away. If people did that, if salespeople did that, no matter what their industry, that right there, I think would determine the success. Yes. Yes. That's why I was like, mm-hmm. we got to go back and talk about this one little piece because it's not, it's an important piece, right? And the other piece is that now I have a very young child. I think by that time, well, let's see, that would have been 2000. Yeah. So by that time in 2000, first son with son is born in 2003. Next one's born in 2006. So by the time the market starts to crash, I have a three-year-old, 10-year-old and a newborn. And so the assistant also, she would work out of my house. We had a a tea desk and she'd sit on one side and I'd sit on the other. And (laughs) if I left to an appointment, I'd, you know, have the, my son in the high chair, they'd be there. She basically doubled as like a babysitter or a nanny while I'd run out to the appointment and then come back. And so it, she served a That's such a great tip on leverage. Like we talk about, you know, how to get leverage a lot on the podcast. And I think that's such a great multi-purpose of your first hire is somebody that can help you leverage in your personal life, but also help you leverage in your business life. So that's a, I think that's a really good tip if you're listening and you haven't done that. It's a great, great take home. Yeah, definitely score on that one. I so agree, Seychelle. Score yeah. on that one. Yeah. And so when, when Ario hit, um, she then was helping me with a lot of those back-end tasks. And then I basically used what I knew, which was prospecting. So I said, you know what? I need to get more of this. Let me get on the phones and let me figure out who the decision makers are at different places, right? Like at different banks or entities. And let me try to get more of this business. And so that's what I did. I would like call in and go, well, who's in charge of that? And then I'd hang up and I'd call back later. Oh yes, I'm trying to call. You know, I need to speak with, 
you know, Joe, whoever. And they'd go, mm-hmm. okay, yes. And I just call as if, right? Like he's expecting my call. Like I need mm-hmm. to talk to him or her, right? Joe, I'm getting the idea. Joe's your go-to Joe's script guy. Joe's my go-to script guy. Yeah. I was going to say Joe Rogan. <laughs> and I was like, no, Joe Rogan's not an asset manager. No. So we're not going to say him. <laughs> no. Okay, so here here's what I think here's what's amazing is is you use all these skills and and you just go be you. And what happened in 2011? Yes. So by 2011, I had what I call the trifecta. So my goal was to go get Fanny, Freddie and Hud, right? Those were the big 3. In 2010, I actually opened my own brokerage because the one that I was at was a small independent and they weren't supporting me. Their their economic model for the number of homes I was selling, they told me I was costing them money as their number one agent. And so not only was I not getting the love, I was kind of getting the push. And so I was like, okay, I'll go start independent brokerage. And so I did that. And um, I would actually pull Son into the business too. Like, hey, the whole way, you know, I've always taken Son. We talked about Mike Ferry, whatever the real estate or learning events were, He's in sales anyway. We would do it together. And so he would take what he could and go back and apply that at his job. But being in corporate, he's in a box, right? And so there you have those limitations. And so by the time we get to 2011-ish and 12, he's not wanting to be in the box. He doesn't have really anywhere else to go that's not going to be a much more time commitment or need to move out of state and not maybe a big jump in pay. And so I was like, well, why don't you do what you do over there, over here? You know, let's let's redo this. Let's rethink this. And so um, also I, I closed 896 homes in that year. And Ooh. in 2008, I had another baby. <laughs> so by this time... You know, because that, that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. Almost 900. No, not enough. enough. Let's just throw a new so You know, selling too. a few hundred homes. Why not have another baby? Yeah. I mean, I was like a master. Like Woman, you're snapping. putting us all to shame. I know. It's unbelievable. No, That's I mean, freaking the awesome. only thing that was super great at that time is I was an excellent one-handed typer, right? Because I did, I wasn't using like the, the wraps <laughs> or the baby bizarre and I'm like holding her. Was it your left or your I'm right? I'm left-handed. So it was left my left. Right yeah. Okay. Left hand, super one-handed typer. <laughs> and it was a lot. Like I would be up until three o'clock in the morning. I say like I aged probably 10 years in a one year span. And so those were really, really difficult times for me because I'm trying to balance business. I have all of these babies. And of course, I look back at that now and I go, man, you are so far out of balance. You know, you should have really appreciated yeah. the births and those babies at those ages, you know, so much more. But I guess that's why you see people become really incredible grandparents because we don't nail it the first go around, you know, with them. <laughs> wow. Corinne, what you were teaching your kids though was work ethic and dedication to your family and making sure that, you know, you're, you were leaving a legacy for your family and you were doing that while balancing. I mean, you know, None of us are perfect parents. I've got plenty of things I would go back and redo too. But I think you you were teaching your kids so many life lessons that we see them now emulating as they're getting older. And that's that's something that you started when you were talking about ages one to five. You know, for you, that's something you were doing for your kids at that point too. The other comment I was going to make really quick was we've talked before about how when you start on a growth journey, which is what you started on. You brought Son with you. And a a lot of people don't do that. They start on this growth journey and they start growing and they start having all of these revelations and this, you know, like all of these things happening in their world, almost like a zeitgeist. And they forget to bring their spouse or their partner or significant other with them. And I think it's really cool that you guys have done this together because you can see the growth for both of you happening where you don't go on this journey and all of a sudden grow in one direction and forget to bring Son with you. And so I applaud you for that too, because that's something I see a lot of people do. Well, let's talk about that. That's a really great point because at a certain point, Corinne, you brought Son into the Mm -hmm. business. Right. Right. And you guys work together to this day. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the... That was a time. And actually, I probably was a little bit early. I was selling all of those homes. I hit almost 900 listings in 2011. I just want to pause on that. For, for those of you watching not in real estate, the, the average realtor, the average real estate agent sells four to five homes a year. 87% of real estate agents don't have their license five years after they get it. So I, I just kind of want to make sure everyone... 900 homes is a shockingly 
massively huge number. You're doing the business of 180 realtors a year, just on average. If we're just doing the math there. Yes. And (laughs) and there is some mayhem that happened, but that was also towards like, now this is starting to decline, right? Like things are coming down. But so by that point, um, one of the things that I figured out that I was really good at was scaling, which, you know, in business, when I had that assistant, even before she got there, I was like, if I have to type an email twice, I'm going to shoot myself. So if, let's make a template. Like let's let's reference these templates. So it become very it had become very systematized and a very well oiled machine by the time you know we got to nine hundred because we didn't do that overnight, right? It'd be two hundred and you know three hundred. It was a climb, um, and so that was a big piece to not make it feel as stressful and as heavy that I'm reinventing the wheel on every single transaction. So and then that was also the year you know the year after that I got recognized uh, Keller Williams did an award called the Pinnacle Award and it's where they award top producers outside. You don't have to be within Keller Williams. They just, you know, recognize you uh, wherever you're at. And so I got to come out to KW and, you know, join one of the conferences, be in uh, a mastermind that Gary Keller does for his top agents. And so that exposed me also to a whole nother world because as owning my own brokerage independently, I was operating in a vacuum, right? Like I was you know, one of the ones thinking the biggest or doing the most in the room. And so when I got into that arena and I could see, wait a minute, these people are doing, you know, bigger businesses and, you know, just the, my head exploded of, you know, what the possibilities are. I'm thinking too small. And then, and then right after that's when Son came into the business. So, so Son came into the business and I think it's fair to say, you know, that, Today, you know, in 2021, you have a an incredibly successful business that is a well-oiled machine. I'm not saying it's perfect, but but a well-oiled machine. Not only are you and Son in it, it looks like that beautiful daughter that you had at 18 is thriving in it, and you might have other kids in it. And it's fair to say that you you've just achieved, I think, massive business success, and and you've got a thriving, happy marriage and family. Is that is that an accurate? Are those all accurate yes. statements? Yes. I would 100% okay. say that. And so you were, you know, the, the reason I kind of set that up and in that, you know, over the last five years or so, I think that that was the case. The reason I set it up is that I, I think that going, you know, the visual, uh, Corinne, of going from where you started to, you know, being born addicted to heroin and, you know, being effectively homeless at times, you know, and and going from that to, to a beautiful home, a beautiful marriage, a beautiful family, a, a completely massive business. You know, are you open to sharing what happened with your mom a few years yeah. ago and how that um, yeah. changed? Um, so if I can back it up right before then, you know, once I had just like a few keynotes here, right? When I got when I got my first home, my mom actually sat in a dark bedroom and I loaded the U-Haul by myself. There wasn't this like normal feeling of like, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. You know, she was really supportive. You know, you asked the question earlier too, at times like between her mom and Jasmine's other grandmother, although her dad really wasn't that great, the grandmother and their family was, they were super supportive in helping me watch the baby, right? So my mom was really there for that. But she was disappointed. She cried, you know, when she found out I was pregnant, like, oh my gosh, like somebody died. And I'm like, what's happening? And so as I'm having these milestones and like getting nicer homes and doing nicer things, I constantly had this feeling with my mom that almost a feeling of jealousy. And I suppressed that and I was like, that can't be. Like, I feel awful even thinking that, let alone I would never say that out loud. And the more things that I that would happen that would be positive in my life, the more I grow, grew to feel that to a point was like, this is undeniable. I can't not think this, you know, anymore. And it got to a point where my mom was just so unhealthy mentally and so resentful towards me that I had to basically stop communication with her. You know, we won't get into all of that. There's a lot that went that goes behind that story because I did give a lot of chances, but really I had to to stop talking with her. Um, and we went to, we were exposed, you know, we went to some personal development show here in Phoenix and Tony Robbins was one of the speakers. And so we um, signed up for one of his events that his initial one is UPW. And we went to that event And at that event, there's an exercise they did that was on forgiveness. And so I called my mom and I was like, hey, I just want to let you know, like, thank you. Thank you so much for everything that you've ever done for me and the life that you've given. I know you and dad are really hard on yourselves. And 
if I wouldn't have had like God bless the broken road, right? That's like led me straight to everything I have today. So I, I want you to know I have no, you know, resentment or anger. Like if anything, I just have an mm. immense gratitude. And I forgive you for anything that you you feel you've done that wasn't to your perfection or your desire. And, you know, please forgive me too, you know, for being a, a whole at times, right? Like through the through the ages, you know, we're not always the best yeah. at some of those teenage years. And, and I'm sure I've done my fair share of things to her. And so um, it was just this beautiful, super emotional, right? It was, those things go to two o'clock in the morning. It's probably 10, 11 o'clock at night. And I'm like outside bawling my, you know, my eyes off and my mom's crying. A year later, I would get a call from my dad that my mom killed herself. And gosh, was that a, a moment, right? If I, if I go back to that moment in time and, and, you know, we have a history in our family. Unfortunately, my, my mom's mom had also um, lost her life by taking it, she committed suicide. My mom's brother, you know, did the same thing. And so just a lot, and we didn't really talk about that side of the family. So I didn't really know what to attribute this to, you know, why is this happening and one of the gifts I have is that when my mom passed away, I didn't have this, you know, heaviness of regret of like, oh my God, I didn't say, or like, I didn't let you know, I did. I did, like, thank God I did. Like, man, so if I look back at, you know, and in preparing, you know, for today to go, hey, we're gonna talk about personal development and the journey, forgiveness is a huge piece, right? Like that's a huge piece. And so even though I thought maybe I wasn't carrying things, being able to forgive her, you know, really, I think has allowed me to heal, you know, probably more quickly and more wholly since losing her in, in uh, July of 2018. Yeah, we just celebrated the three years, three years of that happening. I mean, thank you for sharing that. And that's really when you and I got, I feel like you and I got to know each other and got got close because I was so struck by your elegant calmness through that storm. You're, you were very... Um, emotionally strong during that time. And I was amazed by it. And and now that makes sense a little bit that you had that peace happen a year before. Yeah, I mean, and of course, you know, I mourned and I cried a lot. And, you know, I had moments that I was just a hot mess. And I still had that like deep down peace of that forgiveness. And also the peace that, you know, she's suffering. If she, I had that fear that that would happen, you know, with her for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And if it had happened at an earlier phase of my life, I didn't understand the the mental illness and how that really is such a disease. And I would have blamed her. I would have been like, you didn't love us enough. Like, weren't we enough? Like, weren't the kids enough to pull you through? Yeah. And that's not about that. Like, we're hardwired to survive as humans. So when someone does that, it just tells you how deep in the abyss they are. And it's not about us at all. It's about that person and their immense suffering that they're going through. And so I just look at that and I go, man, I can recognize she suffered for so long, but she's one of the strongest women I knew, knew now know, you know, um, that yeah, she sustained that suffering for a really long time because she was so, so tough, right? And so I don't look at that as like, how dare you do this to us? That's not it at all, right? There's also an, a piece that's like, yeah, you're not suffering anymore. We miss you. I wish you could be here on earth and I could have, you know, a normal relationship or the ideal relationship with my mom. Um, but she's not suffering anymore, right? And so I think it's acknowledging that too. Could you walk us through, Corinne, you know, the personal growth that you've done, you know, g- give us an overview of of what that's looked like over the last couple of years, right? Especially since since your mom, but but it's been uh, it's been really cool to watch and you've spent a lot of time and and resources and in, in doing yeah. it. Uh, you know, um I've learned a couple of really great, valuable lessons. So, you know, I talked about the forgiveness. The other one is gratitude. So I hit a point actually right before my mom passed away and I was just riddled with anxiety. I don't know what was going on, but I just had so much anxiety. And I thought my son had cancer. He had like his lymph nodes were swollen. The doctor's like, no, it's not that. I took him to oncologist. No, no, I think there's something wrong. I would cry to get on airplanes. Like I was just such a mess. But because of my history with or our family with drugs, and I'm not saying this is for every everyone because sometimes you need something to help bridge you to help you get whole again, right? But I just wanted to try other things before I went straight to like anti-anxiety medication. And so what I learned was you got to get moving, right? Like physiological, you can't sit, change your state, you know, move around and exercise. And the other big one was gratitude because if you're, if you're grateful, you can't be in fear or anger. 
And so I went on this journey where I put a post in Facebook every day for um, a little more than two years where I would say something that I was grateful for, right? And it couldn't be a repeat of the I same thing. Those. You know, it wasn't right. the same thing. It would be like just a list, right? It was, you know, how many days is that? Almost 800 days, I think, was the, the total I that I did that. Posts, yeah. And it reframed. You inspired our team to do that, Corinne. We have, since you did that, we adopted that on our team for our huddle. Every day we list one thing we're thankful or grateful for. And you're that. right. The first like five or 10 are easy. And then you get past that and you can't repeat. And you really have to start digging deep for the things that you're grateful or yes. thankful for. So yes. you you totally inspired us to do that. And it, that it, makes me it so totally happy. changes the way you look at your day. Yeah. It does 100%. And there's scientific, like it creates a new neural mm-hmm. network in your brain. Yes. Because instead of going to like the survival of like, what's wrong? I got to fix this. Like in complaining mm-hmm. or being angry about something, you know, you shift. Right. And that's probably why I can, Mm -hmm. you know, shift to a gift faster because I can see that. Right. And I remember having Mm -hmm. like a moment of awareness with this too, because I got in my car. It's 120 in Phoenix. So inside the car is probably 350 degrees. Um, I have black seats. I have a dress on. I sit down and just like burn my legs so bad. And I'm like, so pissed. And um, (laughs) I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, what are you, are you kidding me right now? Like, this is a brand new car. It's a beautiful car. Girl, you have butt cooler in this car. Like you're going to turn this on. It's going to cool you from the inside out in a minute. Um, and you know that your butt is cool anyway. Yeah. You don't need a butt You know cooler. this car is going to get you get from, nice you've buns. had like cars your whole life that didn't even make it where you're going. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is like, I've switched. Like, this is it. I, I didn't control that yeah. first thought, but I can control the second. And then it just became more That's natural. Huge. So that was yes. a big, you know, you're not complaining about things. Um, and it's changing maybe the environment that I came from, which kind of leads me into the next one is that my mom was always very from at cause, right? Like at victim, this happened to me and this is why we couldn't, yeah. this is why I lost that job or this opportunity. And this person did this to me and it would make me nuts. And then I started realizing like when I would get around other people that were like that, I was like, I, I would have like a disproportionate reaction to that probably because of, you know, what I was, I thought was like, oh, you remind me of my mother and like, just take control and, you know, decide Mm -hmm. this is up to you. And I remember I hired a bookkeeper and I got an audit and I called the bookkeeper and I was like, I can't believe that you did this. Like I paid you, I'm paying you like $45 an hour. And then you cause this audit. And he's like, wait, she goes, wait a minute. I didn't do anything to you. I didn't cause you to be stressed about that. You're deciding to be stressed. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You didn't do what you're supposed to do. And you're telling me that. But I did hang up and go, you know what? She's right. She is actually right. Mm. She's not causing me. I'm deciding how I'm going to feel about this situation. I'm the one that decided not to actually audit her work and inspect what I expect. And so then it gave me this like blaring slap in the face about being a victim, right? And being at cause Mm -hmm. and not saying, you made me feel this way or you did this to me. It's like, no, how can I always take the U-turn and repoint this back at me? Because as soon as I point the finger at somebody else, I give up control. I disempower myself. And for somebody who wants That's to be right. in control, I'm like, well, actually the ultimate control is actually taking accountability and responsibility because I can fix and change me. I can't do that with everybody else. No one, including my kids, my head, like no one else, just me. And so that was a super powerful Next lesson that obviously I'm hearing as I'm going to some of these personal development seminars and reading books mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I got that lesson really powerfully as well. What <laughs> seminars and what books, Corinne? Like how, what, what are some where of your did favorites? you actually yeah. go? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I would say I adore the Tony Robbins, the UPW, the Unleash the Power Within. And when Son and I went, that's not our personality to be jumping up and down. So if you've ever seen those videos, we're like... No, it's really not. And that is not either of our personality at all. We're like, we're going to jump up and down and we're going to go to two o'clock in the morning. Like, (laughs) what? But we said, if we're going to do this, we're going to be away from the kids. Anything we do, we're going to play full out and we're going to go all the way. And the powerful lesson I learned in doing like the the jumping up and down and celebrating is that you create your own energy. And so there'd be people sitting next to us going, oh, we have to reserve ourselves because we have to go till two o'clock in the morning we're not going to have the energy to do it. Mm-hmm. And those people left. They didn't even make it because they were exhausted. Because we were jumping up and down, we actually were creating more energy. And by the time we leave there at two o'clock, we are jacked. We're like, oh my gosh, we can't go to bed. Like, what are we going to do? We're all fired up. <laughs> so, and, and I also had a great retention. So it also taught me when you're in a peak state like that and you're active and your energy's up, 
you actually retain the information way different than you're like sedentary and somebody's lecturing at you and you know, you're not retaining all of that information at such a high level. So I, I love, love that event. We ended up doing all the Tony Robbins mastery events. Um, we ended up following Keith Cunningham because he's one of the speakers at Business Mastery. Mm-hmm. Um, Robin Sharma, we've been to his business mm-hmm. building events. Um, Darren Hardy, I've seen him starting to do more things. He used to be the CEO of Success Magazine. We've done several of his masterminds and events and coaching with him. I love Jim Rohn. So anytime like I feel myself getting off course, I will put on, you know, some soundbite or something of Jim Rohn, old school, who's an influencer of actually Tony Robbins. So I think those are some of my... And NLP, NLP now has been a, a great one. You know, fast forward, that's been a really great one for us. And so a few of the things that I've learned through the NLP piece is back to that victim conversation. I've actually learned a lot more about projection and, and the shadow. And there's a fascinating book Gosh. Oh, you know what? Hello. That's it's called the shadow. Is it the shadow effect? No, it's called um, integrating, integrate the shadow, master your path. It's by um, Dr. Matt James. And okay, we'll put that in the show notes. Integrate, integrate the shadow, master your path. By your path. Matt James. And um, Matthew James. By Matt James. Okay. I'm putting it in. The and show I would notes also right now. say The Shadow Effect by Debbie Ford is would be one. another one. I have to add that, that one because I haven't done that one. Um, but the, I think all we can learn about the shadow is so important. Interesting. I'm going to go check these out. Thank you for both of these because I haven't read either. I agree, of those. Corinne. I think it's really powerful to understand that concept. It was introduced to me about three years ago. Yes. Really fascinating. Just for our listeners, to NLP, if I remember this correct, stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming, correct? Yes. Is that right? Okay. Yes. Just Thank wanted you. to make Good sure catch. in case you haven't been exposed to NLP. I remember when I heard it a couple of years ago, I was like, what is that? And then I went and Googled it and just don't Google it. Just type in neuro-linguistic programming because a bunch of weird stuff comes up. So right. just type it in yes. all the way. NLP.com <laughs> is a good one. And when you, when you learn about that shadow, it's basically that it's the not us. That's the easiest way to say that. And so when you, in order to see something in somebody else, how do you recognize that? Well, you recognize it because you had to have experienced it yourself in some fashion or another. Um, so there's a bit of like projection and it goes into projection and shadow. And so what I learned through that victim piece was, oh, well, this is lighting me up because I'm also doing this. Like I am, even though I think I'm not a victim at times or moments, I'm still a victim. And this is why. So it ends up being a tell, basically. So now if I have a disproportionate reaction to someone or how they're acting, I call a timeout on myself and go, okay, what is it that you don't like? And how are you doing the exact same thing? And so it's been a great new awareness, kind of like 2.0 for me to get my get right with myself, right? Like more personal development, more work. Like what do I have going on? And frankly, doing baggage baggage release. So there's another one like through the NLP trainings or teachings environment, um, they do something that's called MER, mental emotional release. And I'll keep this piece pretty short because I I know we've been going for a little bit here. But um, after we lost my mom, uh, my dad came to live with us and he was in a super dark place. He never went back to the house. He's the one that found her um, and he moved in with us and he would eventually try to take his life while he lived with us. And I found him and he survived. He's, He's still alive today. Not doing all that well, but it was just a really dark time in our household. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand the impact it was actually having, not um, not just on me, but on our kids. And so it, it affected one of the kids more so than the others. And he ended up going in a really dark place and, and showing it in a way of anger. He was just so angry and he started struggling in school. And so I did two things. Number one is I went to, I was also uh, reading the uh, book, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life by Dr. Amen. I had seen him speak. And he talked about the brain is malleable, right? And he was talking about the exact um, sciences of brains. He was in charge of the study of the NFL players where they had all the concussions and that he was changing how their brain looked from scans and making improvements based on some of the things that he was applying with them. And so I was like, well, that's true. You know, one of the things he says is mental wellness or illness is the only area of medicine that it's kind of guesswork. Right. It's like, oh, I think you have ADD. Try this pill. Or you don't you have anxiety? I think try this pill. And there's like a hundred different drugs, and it's basically trial and error. And it's just a really broken process. And so we got my son scanned. And so that was really great to understand 
me and my tough love as a mother and San's love as a tough father going like, hey, kid, you just need to get in line. Your siblings are figuring this out. Like, you just need to do this. We were basically speaking in Chinese to my son. And so that really helped me understand. It changed me as a parent. So how, because I changed how I showed up as a parent, it changed how he responded as the child. And we gave him a lot of mercy. So I just think that's a really great resource to do the brain scan, you know, when there's some type of mental wellness or illness that's going on to try to get some better answers. But the other piece too is the MER. And so we also had him do MER, mental emotional release. And there's a book on that as well, also by uh, Matt James. And there is a clinic in Las Vegas and they have a hundred percent cure rate for people that have gone through this program for PTSD. They use it for like suicidal thoughts, PTSD, depression, and it's also has been cured depression. And so um, we've done that, like our son has done that. And it's it's not like sitting on a couch. And so it's really hard to explain, you know, when you're trying to tell this to people. I had a great friend actually that went through a breakthrough session yesterday. And she's like, yeah, how do you even describe these things to people? Because in therapy, it's like go week after week. And I did that with my son. But every time we walked out, he felt worse. I felt worse. You're like bringing up these crummy emotions. And I didn't really see like the healing that was happening where you're using the neuro-linguistic techniques, you're using quantum linguistics, right? And it's changing your logic. It's changing how you think and it's interrupting your patterns, right? And when we keep running those same patterns that aren't um, good for us, right? They're not good for self, then we're creating deeper grooves. So when you can interrupt that pattern and think a different way, you're you you're not responding in the way that you would before, right? You're like, oh, okay, yeah, what was that? Yeah, I'm not upset about that anymore. And so it's a mixture of, you know, doing that baggage release and um, really learning more about yourself. And I think this is where we start looking at, you know, bringing it home with the ROI conversation. And so when I look at our business, you know, we've had ups and downs. We started a team in 2014. Um, we ended up closing the brokerage, folding into um, Keller Williams. And really focusing on the team, hyper-focused on the team. And in 2016, we lost several team members. And then that hit really hard, right? Like, oh my gosh, we're pouring all into these people and they left us big time victim mode, right? Um, and mm-hmm. as, we've, I've been as we've gone through this journey, <laughs> it's like, okay, but why did they leave? Like, what were we doing or saying? And so as I look up at our business today, you know, this year we're on track to do 600 transactions. Um, we'll break 200 million. Uh, we're a business with incredible people, incredible partners. We have an incredible, you know, um, director of sales, and and things are blossoming. We have a great director of growth. Like so, the people that want to be in business with us and are staying in business with us has changed. And we have some people that have been with us, you know, ten plus years. And we're also attracting and retaining different people because we've decided to change. And so. When I look at that, that's the direct impact into the business. And and how's the family life? Everything great there? Yeah, family life is outstanding. Uh, when my daughter left to college, uh, she's 20. She'll be 25 actually next week. So when she left to college, I was like a hot mess. Oh my God, I spent too much time working on my business, not enough time with our kids. And so I made that shift, you know, back then. But, you know, we travel a lot more. We spend time together. We're much different as a family unit. Uh, than when I was up till three o'clock in the morning and everything was consumed by work. So yeah, thanks for pointing that out, Via, because yeah, not only is our business the best it's ever been, and like I feel like we're just hitting the bottom of this hockey stick and we're getting, we're about to hit some explosive growth. Like that's really how I feel. I also look at our family and I go, yeah, our family's in a really great place. Our son just got started in the business. He started on Monday. He's a showing agent. He already has something that's going under contract. I'm like, well, that was quick. I think that was too quick. I don't want it to be that quick and easy for you because that's not your what child. it's going to look like. But, of, course, um, of course he is. Yeah. He's your child. But so we're, we're like, we're <laughs> loving life. Like we're having a great time. We're loving life. Business is great. Family is great. Traveling is great. And that's what I, that's what I want to end on mm-hmm. right there. And that, my friends, is the ROI to doing the work. That is the ROI that you get, right? From... From turning whatever your circumstances are in life. That's right. You know, into fulfillment. Yeah. Not perfection, but fulfillment. Yeah. I mean, you can't you can't control your childhood, right? But you can control the actions that you take. And you know, what I'm hearing from you, you know, as I, I think about my key takeaways, Corinne, from this is 
you know, your life has grown to the extent that you personally have grown, you know, Absolutely. and and you you have looked for the gifts and you have found gratitude and love and um, acceptance and sometimes even forgiveness in those moments. And by focusing on those positive things, right, you recognize that you can't always control your first thought, but dang it, you can definitely control your second thought and the actions that you take from that. And and I know a lot of people today are going to just appreciate you being so open and bringing others, including Son, on this journey with you. And girl, I just got to say vulnerability is a beautiful thing on you. It so is. We that's are been so a journey too. For you. That's one of the most courageous yes. things you can have, actually. <laughs> it's one of the most it courageous is. acts that you could do is to be vulnerable. I'm, I'm continuing exactly. to learn that and, one. Well, you were incredibly vulnerable with us today and and shared a lot of Thank things that most people that. wouldn't. And I really appreciate yeah. that because I took a lot of notes and, and a lot of takeaways and I know our listeners will too. So... My friend, thank you for being thank on you guys today. So, so much. Before we end, can I do a shameless plug for a director of operations? Yes. Because I did say we're like on the <laughs> hockey stick of trajectory. And so I need a rock star director of operations who is a builder and wants to, you know, help us get to the next few thousand transactions. So if anyone's listening and knows somebody where you're not liking what you're doing, Call me. Or even if you're happy in what you're doing, but you want a bigger life. <laughs> or you want a bigger life. We're yes. all about building big businesses and even bigger lives. So go out there and do that. And if you know of a rock star that would be a great candidate for Corinne, call her and uh, go apply because she would be an amazing person to work with. So Thank thanks you. for listening, Thank you. you guys. Have Thank a great you, day. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Empire Building. If you like what you heard, join our tribe by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. And help us spread the word by leaving a five-star rating and review. Until next time, wishing you a life worth living. And remember, you are an empire builder. 